Well, let's open our time in a, in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank You for your, your grace and kindness to us in Christ, which abounds all blessings that we have. We may be rich here in America, and yet, if we have not Christ, we are poor and will spend eternity in misery. And yet, even as we saw this past week, though we have nothing as the Nepali believers have, we have Christ, we have everything, and are rich indeed. I pray, O Lord, this morning as we think upon the love of Christ toward us, may You stir us afresh with His great love for us, that we would in turn love others. I pray that You would show us again, perhaps anew, perhaps this even for the, the first time coming of the wonderful news that it was God who loved us first. Lord, I pray that You would prepare our hearts now as we even think of celebrating the Lord's Supper together here in a few moments. To the glory of Christ, Amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. In verse 19, I just want to center my thoughts this morning for a, a few moments here upon one little verse that has really came to mind as I was in Nepal. It's a verse that maybe some of you have memorized, and if not, certainly now you can memorize it. It says 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It says this, We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. You got that memorized? Okay, don't look at your Bible to say it together. We love because He first loved us. Really simple verse, but contains an immense amount of truth. The verse was really illustrated in the life of one of the many people we met in Nepal this past week. I want you to tell I want to tell you the story about a man named Jeevan. He's a pastor of a church in Kathmandu, and before he became a Christian, he was a Hindu, right? which is very common for those in Nepal, as Nepal is the only Hindu kingdom in the world. And the Hindu religion believes that when you die, you will come back in another life form. Either you, When you come back, you'll come back either better or you will come back worse. You may come back, kids, check this out, you might come back as a fly. Would you like to come back as a fly? You might come back as a frog. You like that, Christiana? Would you like to be a frog? You could eat the fly. <clears throat> you might come back as a pig or another person or, best yet, you could come back as a cow. Yeah, you'll see in a little bit how high cows have it in Nepal. I've, I've got a video of a cow sitting in the middle of the road and these cars just zipping by it because they won't bother a cow. You kill a cow and they'll kill you because cows are like the highest. They're the gods. So just as you come back, you can come back higher or lower, right? The frog is higher than the fly, and the pig is higher than the frog, and the people are higher than the pig, the cow is higher than people. But within people also, there's this um, continuum as well. Some people are real high, and some people are really low. There are some who are the high caste, and some are the low caste. And those who are the high caste won't associate with those of the low caste. 
And those of the low caste consider themselves too small to look up to some of those in the high caste. Those in the high caste won't talk with them if the low caste. They won't touch them. Even they won't look upon them. Perhaps you remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus told the story of a man who was robbed on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was stripped and beaten and left for half dead. And you remember what the priest did when the priest and the Levite saw the man there stripped and beat? What did they do? They walked around the other side, right? So they wouldn't touch him. So they wouldn't be defiled by him. That's exactly how those of the high class of the Hindu religion treat other people. In fact, that's how Jeevan used to act. In fact, that's what he told us. He said that they were those people low caste. He wouldn't even touch them. To touch them made himself ceremonially unclean because he was born of the Brahmin caste, which is the highest of castes. And to even look at those of the low caste was considered not something to do. He was a very prejudiced man. And his religion supported him in his prejudice. But a man came into his life that changed his life entirely. This man was a an American missionary. He operated a. Um, he, he came in, into his life because Jeevan was in the travel business, and Jeevan operated a, a hotel. And this man named Dave Marshall used to lead groups of people over to Nepal, and he would lead groups of people, and they'd stay at Jeevan's hotel. And so Jeevan saw this man on several occasions. On one time, on his way out of the country, Dave gave Jeevan a Bible and said, "Why don't you read this?" He went out of the country and came back in another six months later. Asked Jeevan if he read the Bible. And Jeevan, of course, said no. And he said, well, read the Bible. And he went out of town, country again, came back in again, asked Jeevan the same question. Did you read your Bible yet? And kids, what do you think Jeevan said? No, he hadn't. And this happened a couple times. I'm not sure how many. But on one occasion, this man was about to leave Nepal after one of his trips. And he had a sick little girl in his arms. I forget exactly what the sickness was. I think it was typhoid fever or something. Just get her to the doctor. And be very well. But he was leaving town that next day and he couldn't take this little girl to the doctor. And so he gave this girl into the arms of Jeevan and said, like the story of the Good Samaritan, you take her to the doctor, I'll give you all the money that you need when I return and we'll establish and you know, rectify our accounts at that point. And then he left. And Jeevan was kind of stuck because this girl was sick and she was of the lowest caste. To touch this girl would to be to defile him. And here he was, this sick girl. And if she's sick, it's probably made it worse. And the fact that she was a woman, a girl, probably made it worse. He was like the, the furthest extreme that could take place. She even had this girl in her arms. And yet he did take care of the girl. He took her to the doctor and she was cured. And Jeevan told us that something in his heart melted that day. And really what melted was this, was how could this Westerner who had so much care and love this little girl, this little sick girl, how could he care for her? He wanted to know, Jeevan did, why Dave Marshall would love the unlovable. And so you know what he did? What did he do? He read his Bible. He wanted to figure out how it was that Dave could love the unlovable. And we read the Bible. He found out why. Dave Marshall could love a sick and unlovable girl. The truth is here in 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. Jeevan 
became a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Today he's a pastor of a church in Kathmandu, doing a wonderful work. But what changed him was an act of love. I want you to notice that the act of love wasn't even directed towards Jeevan, was it? It was directed towards this little girl that stirred in his heart to say, why would Dave love this girl? As a result of that, he understood it was because God first loved Dave Marshall, who wasn't lovable. And if God loved him who wasn't lovable, Dave Marshall then was empowered to love others who weren't lovable. And that is our state before God. When God loved us, we weren't lovely, high-caste Brahmins. Listen to how the Bible describes us in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was a demonstration of God's great love towards us when we were sinners. It's God's great love to us when we were enemies and we hated God and wanted nothing to do with Him. And I'm telling you, this truth ought to change your perspective on life. That God would love you when you were unlovable. That God would sacrifice Himself for you, though you were one who hated Him. Right? These words are sung often in churches, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And yet there are those in the Christian church I've heard of who when they have a chance to sing Amazing Grace before a congregation, change the words. I've heard one woman change and she said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that would save a one like me. Missing the fact that we all before God are wretches. See, the difference between you and God is far different than any difference between a Brahmin man and a low-caste, sickly girl. It's not that God's prejudiced like the Hindu society. The Bible's clear that God's not a respecter of persons. It's that God is so holy and pure, and we are so sinful and miserable that the chasm is huge. When Isaiah encountered the big gulf, what did he say? He said, "'Woe is me, I'm ruined.'" When God looks down upon us, He sees foolish, disobedient, deceived people who are enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, who spend their lives in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. When God looks down upon us, that's who He sees. When God looks down upon mankind, He sees that every intent and the thoughts of the heart are only evil continually. When God looks down on the sons of man, He sees that every one of them is turned aside. Together they have become corrupt, and there's no one who does good, not even one. But the good news, the glorious news of the gospel, is that that's when God loved us. Even when we were in that wretched condition, He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Isn't that the most famous verse in the Bible? Isn't that the message? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that those who believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. When Jesus came to die on the cross, He didn't save merely just high, respectable Brahmins. He saved those who were lowly and despised and poor and humble. And I say, when we come to grasp the extent of God's love toward us, we'll imitate our Heavenly Father. We will respond 
in love towards others. Isn't that what the text says? We love because He first loved us. Right? It's on the basis of God first loving us that we will love. God's love was shown to us and we ought to share our love, that love with others. Right? Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 says this, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Right? We're supposed to walk in love just as Christ also loved us. You know, during my time in Nepal, I saw that. You know, Tom Clinton's here and his brother Bob took us around Nepal. And uh, one of the things, a very gifted man, he extended his love towards many. I'm sure, Tom, you have seen this many times. Where he just opens his arm and he hugged... I I tried to count, but I lost count about a million different Nepalis that he kind of hugged and uh, gave a smile to and talked with. And I remember on one occasion he went to a home for older people called the Sisters of Charity, organized by Sister Teresa. A strict humanitarian place. There's no gospel light there at all that I could tell. Simply cared for old people whose families had deserted them. People are not Christians. Many are Hindus entrenched in their false religion on their way to hell. And yet, Bob went up to them and he greeted them and he touched them and looked them in the face and talked to them. And I asked him why he did that. And he said, these people just love getting attention. They love being felt being, being handled, having a hand shaken. They love being talked to. And so that's what Bob did. He just shared his love to other people. I said, what a great view that is. What a great perspective and understanding that is of this verse. Right? We love because He first loved us. And you'll never know how God will use those displays of love. I mean, Dave Marshall, could he have predicted when he brought that poor, sickly girl into Jeevan's arms, could he have predicted that that was something that God would use? His act of love towards this girl to draw Jeevan to himself. We don't know what God will use. Perhaps someone would even look at Bob and say, Bob, why are you doing that? And Bob could give the testimony, I love because God first loved me. And this is how God works, by the way. It's often the selfless acts of Christians that God uses to spread His name. Jesus said to His disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, right? By what? It's by your love for one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, there's a correlation between God's love for us and our love for others. Even as I have loved you, you should love others. And this love will have an effect. It's an evangelistic effect. When other people see the love that we have, they'll say, oh, that's a different love than the love I have. They'll say, that must come from the love of Jesus. Right? It's got this effect of how we ought to do. And I have been confronted even this week, watching Bob, even coming home to my own house, and seeing how unloving I am. I'm just not. And it's been difficult for me. I don't think that I share my love to all I meet as I ought to do. I'm not kind and gracious with my words I ought to be. And I think it's because I don't fully grasp God's loving of me. You know, Jesus said that the one who has been loved much, been forgiven much, will forgive much and will love in return. 
So this morning, I think it'd be good for us even to reflect upon just the, the central role of the love of God in Christ Jesus. And just know that in, the love of God is a huge evangelistic opportunity for the Hindu. For us in America, we kind of just assume the love of God. I mean, we've been so influenced by Christianity as a nation that God's love is almost a given. Uh, in fact, I remember speaking with a non-Christian here in America one time who'd never been to church in his life. Fathom that. Never been to church in your life. I was talking to him. And he said, of course God loves me. I mean, it's his job to love me, isn't it? And there's something so dreadfully wrong about that because his view of God is like all love. And it's because of the Christian influence we've had in America that, that we know and we hear of God's love and that, that, that it's boundless and it's great and it's awesome. But the error is that it was swung way too far. That's why I think Dave Newton's message to you last week that I listened to was so good about the wrath of God. Because though God is love, God is not all love. Right? There are these two things in balance. And our error in America is we swung to the fact that God is love. Do you know the error in the Hindu nations? They swung all the way to the side that God is wrath and God is hate. It's shown in their idols. So we walked around Nepal. Idols were everywhere. They're on streets. They're on the back of cars. You know, we have little fish on the back of our cars. They have like idols on the back of their cars. The entrance to many buildings are idols. And you'll see some of those idols. There's several of the hotels. They're idols. And the temples are idols. And here's the way an idol works. You pray to it. You give it food. You plead. You ask. You serve. You do, do, do. And after you've done all this work, you hope to gain the idol's approval. You hope that the idol is no longer angry with you, but might show just a little bit of pity towards you. But you know what? That's exactly opposite to how God works. We don't work for God hoping that afterwards God will work for us, right? It's the other way around. God has first worked for us on the cross, accomplishing everything, right? We love because He first loved us, right? He initiated and we responded. His love is an initiating love and our love is a responding love. We don't work for our God. Our God works for us. That's the love of God. See, there's great fear in idol worship. And, and, and I think that, you know, they, they see these idols as angry with them. You look at the demeanor of these idols, and many of them are scary figures. You know, they're just kind of mean like this. And almost the idea is you got to, you know, you're encountering this mean God that you're trying to pacify, trying to do whatever you can do. And the fear that you have is you don't do enough for your idol, and your idol's going to come after you and get you. The fear is you don't work hard enough. He's going to harm you. So you think about it, these idols really are very selfish. They're into their own thing, right? I'm going to get you. you, you serve me, you serve me, you serve me, and maybe I will help you a little bit. If you do enough, maybe the idol will feel obliged to help you. But the opposite is true of God. God isn't there ready to zap you. God is there with open arms, ready to receive. In fact, He initiates the love. And it's not fear that drives us to work for God. It's God's love towards us that gives us reason to love in return. Isn't that right? We love because He first loved us. It's His love towards us that causes us to respond in love. Right? It's not His fear and anger towards us that causes us in fear and anger to come back to Him. And we asked Jeevan about how he witnesses to Hindus. 
And he says, he asks the simple question. He says, do your gods love you? And then he says, our God loves us. And I'm telling you, in the culture in which they are, that stands in such stark contrast. Because their gods don't love them. There's no love there. But you know what? Our God loves us. And then Jeevan goes on to explain the cross. How Jesus is the omnipotent God who came into the flesh to die for His people. And all who repent of their sins will know forgiveness that He offers. And this God is such a different God than the Hindus know. They hardly fathom the thought. See, idols don't love. Idols are selfish and in it for their own good. So when you think, when they think of a God of love, like shorts their circuits. And yet the good news is that we worship a God of love. We worship a God who has loved us. Hear this for the first time. Our God loves us and He died for us. That's what it says. We love because He first loved us. So we think about the Lord's Supper. Really, it's an opportunity now that we have to remember His love. Right? I mean, this is a chance for us to say, God, we love others. We love You because of everything that You have done on the cross for us. In that sense, Lord, we love. And I simply ask you, as 1 Corinthians tells us to, examine ourselves before we eat the bread and drink the cup. Are you loving others? Do you have a genuine love and heart and passion for others? Has God's love for you so changed you that you are loving of others? You know, the problem at the Corinthian church was that they didn't love one another. Right? It says in 1 Corinthians 11, you can open there if you want, talks about, I'm giving you this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better but for the worse. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you in order that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, For in eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What, do you not have homes, houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not. See, the issue, the fundamental issue of these Corinthians was that they were unloving. They were selfish and looking after their own own things. Right? They were eating first, not waiting and sharing. Some of them even were indulging in wine and becoming drunk. And, and, and God says that is totally unbecoming to celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so I ask you, are you loving towards others? Are you forgiving towards others? Are there things that you hold against other people? Are there acts in which you have demonstrated you're not loving towards people and which you're not repentant for? If that's your case, Paul would say, don't take of the supper this morning and despise the cross of Christ. But if the love of God has changed you, you've embraced that, and you're exhibiting love, desiring to, then by every means, celebrate the Lord's Supper with us this morning. This is for those who know and love Christ. This is for those who, are, who will eat in a, a worthy manner. If you eat in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So Paul tells us to let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So have you bow your heads right now, even examine your hearts.
confess any sin. Perhaps you, you know, even have some sin against another. Perhaps there is something in which you're unrepentant for. Boy, repent now. Perhaps there are some things in which you have been unloving. Confess that. And plead to the Lord that He would change you. Plead to the Lord that you would know more of His love, that then you would respond in love. And then as you celebrate the supper, celebrate it with joy, knowing it's a picture of what Christ did on the cross. So examine your hearts now. I'm going to give you a moment of silence to do that. Confess your sin before the Lord. Trust again anew. Renew your your trust in the cross. Father, what a privilege it has been to celebrate the supper the last six weeks that we've done this together. Constantly being reminded of the cross. As we think of the events of this week leading up to Easter, it's the the central pinnacle of all of history when the Father forsook the Son and bore upon Him our sins. And so, O Lord, in that we do rejoice. I pray this morning as we celebrate this, may it be strengthening to our souls as we commune with You. As we take of Your body and we drink of Your blood. Not literally, of course, O Lord, but we taste and we swallow uh, just as a picture of how we have embraced Christ. May You be with us now. May we enjoy our time together. May we worship You in the fullness of our communion with You. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I invite the men.